Listening Dog Media. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The Offside Rule. I'm Kate Borsay and alongside me, it's the brilliant Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Hoops. Hello, how are we? <laughs> All right, I know you're having a crazy week this week. And at any point during this recording, an interview you could well pop up for you to do. So we're all on high alert, should you be interrupted. Uh, no Haley today, she's busy working. So instead, we've got a more than able replacement, freelance football presenter, Ali Bender. Hi, Ali, how are you? <laughs> well, other than the fact that I have covid my four-year-old and eight-year-old and now husband have COVID. Um, I'm great. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we've oh, gone down no. like dominoes. Oh, gosh. I'm basically coming over to your house with a big red cross of paint to put on your door. Uh, COVID has struck the Bender household. Um, how are you feeling, <laughs> most importantly, Ali, despite Actually, being struck down? Yeah, I mean, I feel a bit ropey, but I'm all right. I mean, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm all vaxxed up to the hill. I'm boosted as well. Um, and so I'm a lot better. I had COVID the first time around before vaccinations and that took its toll pretty badly. But this one is just, I just feel I've got a bit of a headache and I, I don't feel great, but hopefully I'll be able to get through this pod. Football will keep oh, me going. I hope so too. <laughs> Some football chat distraction. Exactly. Boo to Omicron. That's all I can say. Well, look, hopefully Ali makes it through to the end. Hopefully Lynn's will not get interrupted during this podcast. It's almost worth tuning in just because of the high stakes involved. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and via our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com and via Instagram as well. And don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. Coming up on the show, after Emma Hayes' son, Harry, made the headlines for asking whether the Chelsea manager had won an award for being the best mummy. This is the FIFA Best Award that she picked up this week. Uh, We're going to talk about other examples of children being proud of their footballing parents. And with Rafa Benitez having bit the dust as manager of Everton, becoming the sixth casualty of Farhad Mashiri's six-year reign at Goodison Park, we ask, 
which owner we'd least like to work for. But first, with AFCON in full swing and plenty of drama, plenty of shock results and controversy as we come to love from this tournament, we're going to dip in and uh, pick out some points so far that have um, drawn our attention. Okay, so a bit of an AFCON review for you. Tournament's been going on for 11 days as we record this, but we haven't found a decent enough opportunity to talk about it yet until today. So let's do a little review of what's been going on, what we've enjoyed so far. And then, well, Lindsay Hooper's arrived at the podcast with a rather special feature she wants to do. <laughs> She may have bitten off more than she can chew on Yeah, this. don't big it up too much. I, I had to come on before this started. I think the listeners should be included in this. And I had to say, please let me temper expectations for this alternate universe that I was going to look into. It's less an alternate universe and a little bit of a, a table of, <laughs> of figures that I'm going to just blast at you all. Okay? Okay. So should we should we, we leave got any that as the big... <laughs> <laughs> Should we should we leave that as the big finale hoops? Not to big it up. Uh, let's see. Oh no! Uh, I feel like that's. Big let's see whether this more, makes but, Ali yeah, feel better on. or worse. In fact, maybe we should, after every topic, find out if Ali's feeling better or worse about. <laughs> what I can do is I can let Ali know because I know with Ali's football in mind, she will know what I stitch myself up for when I explain what I intended to do and what I've actually delivered. And you'll be like, "Why did you even think you could do this?" But anyway. Oh, I bet everyone's very intrigued. Uh, you'll have to hang on whilst Ali and I give you a few little highlights before uh, Lindsay rocks up with her amazing feature, which has been inspired by, well, some of the late game drama that's been happening at AFCON so far. Ali, do you want to get us started with perhaps a few things that have jumped out to you? Yeah, it's quite funny because um, before AFCON started, I was on the radio a few times um, speaking about tournament favourites and who I expected to pro to, to progress and, and who I expected to do well and everything I said has, has come to be completely wrong. Um, so Senegal being one of them, I mean, I love Senegal. They have the best chance. They've got such great players as well. Obviously, Mendy, he is my Chelsea goalkeeper. You've got Kuda Bali, Adrissa Gay, Mane as well. They've done really badly, though. Um, two nil-nil draws and a, and a, a one-nil win against Zimbabwe. But it's remarkable. They topped the group. They were even able to, to get to the top of Group B um, because of results, other results going on their way, you know, going their way. Um, but Ali Osise, their coach, uh, has said that they've been lacking efficiency, you don't say, in attack. And hopefully we'll see a bit more from them because I was, you know, I was really looking forward to this team. But yeah, um, maybe they're maybe they're a bit of a slow burner. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, a team that are already crashed and out um the four-time champions Ghana I mean you know again something you wouldn't really have predicted uh, particularly because of their superstar lineup Arsenal's Thomas Partey Leicester's uh, Daniel Marte the AU brothers as well um they've been eliminated after finishing bottom of Group C just one point from their three games absolute shocker it's the first time that they've exited AFCON at the group stage since 2006 there is an upside to this particularly if you're Arsenal uh, and Mikel Arteta, because um, Partey could be back, couldn't he, for Arsenal's game against Burnley on Sunday? No travel restrictions. He wouldn't actually have missed one single league game it, because of exactly. the How jammy would that be? And I say that as a Liverpool fan. I was having a chat to my son on the way to school today, and he said, 
why can't Salah play for Ghana? This is ridiculous. How come he gets, how come party gets to come back so early as I was trying to explain the mechanics of how tournament football works? Mm -hmm. So yes, no doubt Mikel Arteta will be delighted if he gets Parte back early. Uh, I was looking also, Ali, at Algeria as well. I was talking to our yeah. colleague Kate, Kate, Kate Mason about this on my show. You know, again, another huge team expected to do so well. They play again tonight, don't they, I think? So they're not out yet. But again, another team that has underperformed could be, could be knocked out. Well, yeah, the fact that they're reigning champions, they've got to be Ivory Coast this afternoon to go through. So that's absolutely huge. Depending on what time we release this pod, they may already be out. Um, but they drew 0-0 with Sierra, Sierra Leone and they lost 1-0 to Equatorial Guinea. So, you know, again, some really great names there and also some, some Premier League players that may be back early. So there is always that, that positive side of things. But of course, if you're a player, you're representing your country, you want to go deep into the competition, you want to come back with that winning mentality. And, and you know, for all that travel and all that preparation, what a disappointment if you're crashing out and not even going through the group stage. I decided to back Nigeria, Super Eagles, go, go, go. Um, and they've become the only side, the only one at AFCON to win all three group games. I'm loving watching Kelechi Iheanacho in this. He's provided actually, uh, we always talk about goals, but he's provided some lovely assists, a really nice cross the other night. And um, Wilfred Ndidi um, is, is part of this team as well. Also, Truce Kong, who plays for Watford, although I feel like I've seen more of him in, in AFCON and what he can bring to the Premier League. Um, it's really made me take interest now in him as a player and what I think he can go on to achieve. So um, that's an area that I'm looking at. Nigeria may be doing well in this in this one. And speaking of players that are shining, I've also taken an interest in some lower league players in the EFL. Now, Nancy Frostick has done an article in The Athletic, which I really recommend you, you read. It's about League Two players, Ibu Adams and Ibu Torre. Both of them play in League Two. Adams plays for Forest Green Rovers. Torre plays for Salford City. They both play for the Gambia and they featured in both group matches. Uh, they're still to play Tunisia. That's later on today. So as this comes out, they might even be playing already commenced uh, and finished that match. But it's so good to see League Two players in tournaments like this shining, getting some headlines. Can you imagine them going back to Forest Green Rovers and to Salford and saying, just had this amazing experience, played for my country, been doing this, been actually been playing a lot of minutes uh you just you don't imagine it happening to lead yeah. two players do you particularly with so many big teams doing badly as well um Ali you've been looking at a couple of standout stars as well haven't you yeah so um looking at Cameroon's Vincent Abubakar he's been absolutely brilliant um they're the host of course Cameroon he scored five goals in three games that's the three more than any other player at the tournament got both goals in their opener against Burkina Faso uh, both penalties he's 29 years old he's playing for the Saudi side uh, Al Nasser but he's also played for Porto and Besiktas in the past he's got a solid record I would say he's a bit of a new star but actually he scored the winner in the 2017 AFCON but he wasn't really a key part of the team then a big part of the squad that he is now um, so absolutely brilliant um, he scored his fifth goal to send them through uh, as winners of Group A and one of the great things about him is that he scored these five goals now if he scores in the very next game a sixth goal he'll actually overtake Samuel Eto'o's record of scoring in six consecutive games and when you're you know when you're talking about setting records like that then it's definitely one to watch so yeah look out for him in the next game yeah and, and the thing about him as well is it's notoriously AFCON such a low scoring tournament that already it's surpassed that that if you just stopped and put a pin in this right now with five goals in three matches, he would actually already be top scorer in each of the last 11 
AFCON tournaments, which is crazy. But yeah, mm. he, he's doing brilliantly. It's also worth noting what happened to Ghana. Part of their downfall was one of the sides to beat them being a tiny island called Comoros. It's off the east coast of Africa. Only became a member of FIFA in 2005. This was a big story, got everyone talking. And these are the results that we love to see as well. This is their first major tournament, by the way, Comoros, and to beat the four-time winners, absolutely amazing. Um, the hero was Ahmed Mogni. He plays for FC Ansi in the French third tier. He scored twice. Comoros, uh, a third at the moment, they could still qualify. As we're recording this, they could still qualify for the knockouts as one of the best third place teams. And if you haven't seen it already, there's a moment of joy uh, that was out on social media. One of their defenders dancing on a table in the dressing room, just celebrating the win against Ghana as well. Um, really worth checking out. And there's been a few blip moments. We'll talk about the referee controversies and stopping the game and um, decisions uh, questionable decisions in just a minute. But another whoops moment was a classic involving a national anthem. Can we get through one tournament without a national anthem blip? Well, in the game between Mauritania and Gambia, the person working the old national anthem audio botched the national anthem and played Mauritania's old national anthem. They dumped it in about 2017 and just couldn't get the new one. Basically played it three times, played the wrong one three <laughs> times frustratingly. Oh, you're feeling for them though, aren't you? Before they managed to get it right. And I was thinking to myself, you know, fair enough if the national anthems are quite similar because it gets to a point sometimes without disrespecting any nation where they sort of roll into one, don't they? They kind of can sound the same. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to listen to these two national anthems and see if it's an easy mistake to make, perhaps it is. Well, good um, research, Kate. Well, I just, <laughs> you know, I thought I thought I need some balance in here. I can't just absolutely slate the poor person playing out the national anthems at the stadium. So uh, here's a listen to the old Mauritania national anthem. So, I you, quite like you, that one. Yeah, yeah I do. You kind like of Aladdin get the gist. Something. Yeah, it's yeah. Soviet style, but there we go. And um, let's let's see if this is you know quite similar. Easy mistake to make. Here's the new one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really. So there we go. Uh, rap on the knuckles for that poor stadium audio person. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling though that the stadium person who presses the buttons doesn't necessarily know the anthem, just has a list uh, and what it says, and then just played the the old one. He wouldn't know the difference. He or she would not Must know the difference. Must do better. Must do better. I mean, it's been four years since they changed it, so you know. Anyway, let's let's move on to a few of the controversial moments. Ali, there was a big one last week, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard about this by now because it, it went pretty crazy and it wasn't a good advert for the African Cup of Nations because already we've been talking in the media about how we must respect it as a big tournament. So this was Tunisia against Mali. So Mali ended up winning this 1-0. Kone, who scored a 48-minute penalty. So the referee for this game decided to blow the whistle at minute 85 
And as you can imagine, the Tunisia coach went absolutely crazy. You see him come onto the pitch, remonstrating, banging his watch, at which point the referee decides to play on a little bit longer, but still ends up ending the match prematurely. Now, what's even crazier about this is that the players go inside, they jump in their ice baths for about 35 minutes. You've got the managers doing their post-match press conference. Suddenly there's an announcement that the game will actually be played, or that the, the remaining minutes of the game will be played. So the players all have to come back out again, which is obviously ridiculous I mean they're in ice baths they've cooled down at this point Tunisia actually refused which is funny because they're the ones that actually need the goal and so Mali were declared the winners but there was a little bit of fallout after this match and there were sort of suggestions that perhaps the match might be replayed but but you know it, it stands Mali did win this game 1-0 it stands that way but really bad controversy uh, for a tournament I've never known anything like this in a tournament so big the only kind of referee blunders I can think of are like the kind of the Graham Poles um, and that kind of thing but I've never known a referee to blow mm. early do you think he just hadn't like yeah I mean I mean do you think he just hadn't made a note of the start time <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I think I think it was literally the water breaks. He hadn't stopped his watch um, at the right time there. I think that's what, what the, the situation was. But I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's a major tournament. And I, I, yeah, it's uh, baffled. Yeah. Bonkers. Well, you are right. It was a huge story. And what I thought was, <laughs> in my naive moment, <laughs> what would the Premier League look like right now this season if the whistles had all been blown on 85 minutes. Now, hang oh, on wow. before you all get excited because you might be thinking, well, what what would it look like? Who knows? Because that's probably about a thousand hours worth of recent <laughs> wow. is what I realised. Start, start, start with Brighton and Hove Albion, right? They're, they're yes. masters well, of the, the late team. winners. That is the team I've gone in on, actually, Ali. I'm glad you brought Brighton up. That's helped me out no end. What (laughs) I decided was I started doing this and then I thought I'm going to be here forever. If I go through every team and then, of course, if a team has drawn instead of won because of a a late goal or if they've lost points completely, it obviously then affects another team. And I was starting to do the knock on. And then I thought, no, this is just too much for a little... segment Lindsay, in our show. Crazy. but what I did do was I found the the number of goals for quite a few teams that would would have applied post 85 minutes so for Brighton Chelsea and Manchester City they've all scored six goals post 85 minutes Villa Leeds Palace Liverpool and Watford have all scored five and I did do a deeper dive here on Brighton who are ninth as we record this in the Premier League table to see what sort of effect that would have I I've also been at a few of the games where they've scored these late goals, including Mopes when he scored against Palace at Selhurst Park. Um, I was there as well for the, the Danny Welbeck late one, tr- uh, Trossard as well. So here we go through. Uh, we've got Palace, an own goal just very recently, the 87th minute from Joachim Anderson in the recent Palace matchup. Um, that would have meant that they were docked a point because that was a draw in the end. A 91st minute goal against Chelsea, another point off. Southampton, they scored in the 98th minute, Mopé. Um, that's another point knocked off. These are all draws um, that they wouldn't have had. Um, against West Ham, that's one that I remember, uh, another point knocked off. Uh, against Palace, the one that I mentioned earlier in the season, another point knocked off. And against Brentford, when Trossard scored in the 90th minute, that was a 1-0 win. So that means that they would have lost two points in that because it would have been 0-0 instead. In total, seven points. 
seven points they've got at the end of matches. It could make a huge difference. I mean, someone out there might want to go through Chelsea, Man City, Villa, Leeds, Palace, <laughs> yeah. Liverpool, Tottenham, Watford. After Wednesday night. Yes. Goodness me. Well, well, you've sort of half finished your essay, haven't you, really, Hoops? I, I, I am enticed by it, but uh, if anyone out there wants to make us up a table... What would happen if Premier League games there stopped in 85 minutes? There are writers, Kate, that, that listen to this show, I know. And I think it's an article waiting to be written, although probably it's a week too late. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the challenge is out there. If you manage to do it, well, we could even put it up on the Offside Rule podcast website, couldn't we, Hoops, if anyone we, out there yes, is feeling We could actually give someone a published article. <laughs> there, might, there might be an enthusiastic fan out there who's never seen their name written up in lights. <laughs> But I will warn yeah. them, it will probably take about a thousand hours. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Perhaps someone has already, is already the type of person to draw up a table like that and just literally needs to send the latest version. Uh, let's wrap that up there. Uh, Lindsay's look at uh, what would happen if Premier League uh, games or certain teams ended games on 85 minutes and our little roundup of AFCON. Next up, uh, which Premier League owner would we least like a job with? Listening to the offside wall with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper, and sports presenter Alison Bender. Um, so here we go. Inspired by Everton owner Farhad Mashiri, he took the decision on Sunday to sack Rafa Benitez in a move. Did it? Did it surprise the footballing world? Uh, I think it always been muted, hadn't it? But it. I mean, it basically brings to an end a bit of a disastrous relationship between all concerned. I tell you what did surprise me is that yes. Everton let Luca Dina go to Villa mm. and then let Rafa go. Why would you lose both? If you know that Rafa's going to go, don't you hang yeah. on to, to Dina if, they, if they've fallen out? I was really scratching my head over that one. I think it shows that it was a, a last, it was a kind of a last draw decision maybe to get rid of Rafa. I don't think they would have had that think otherwise Dina would have stayed, wouldn't he? It is it's ridiculous and it's an absolute mess. And to be honest, if you're any manager out there, I don't know I don't know who would actually want to take that job at the moment. Although I would really like to see Frank Lampard there, um, to be honest with you. I More think he'd dunk. be good. Yeah, I think Frank Lampard it is would be good. a bit of a trouble club to be a part of, isn't it? They're now looking for their seventh permanent manager of the six years that uh, Mashir is been owner of the club just to recap they've taken six points from a possible 39 and obviously they just lost to Norwich as well and, and also because you've both pointed out some slightly bizarre bad decisions taken in the last couple of months um so this has inspired us to have a little think about who we would least like to work for who are the baddie owners basically and obviously they're in charge of a football club they're never likely to be uh, the most popular people in the world because of all the emotions that get wrapped up in football, of course, of which we all are very aware. But is anyone worse? Ali? Well, I'm going to put my green and gold scarf on here and talk about the Glazers. To be honest with you, as you know, I'm a Chelsea fan. And actually, it's, I, I do feel that we're one of the very few teams who actually really love our owner. And, you know, through thick and thin, and he never comes out, Roman Abramovich never speaks to anyone. Um, and he just kind of lies low in the background. But um, I think that, you know, it must be 
really turbulent times if you absolutely hate your owner the way that Manchester United um, do. The takeover happened in 2005, and I know they saddled the club debts of, I don't know, six, 600 million plus. But then after the departure of Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill, then football knowledge has really been exposed for permanent managers. And none of it's really worked. They've tried a bit of everything, haven't they? I mean, obviously, Moyes was Sir Alex Ferguson's choice. Then they went with Van Hal, then Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and now Ralph Ranić, who has said, by all accounts, I mean, he, he's... He said when he came in that he's really surprised at how hard it has been to turn things around. Obviously, he's had difficulties where the training ground's been closed and COVID and all the rest of it. Um, looked a little bit better last night against Brentford, certainly. But yeah, there are real issues there. But I think they just really mess things up, don't they, at board level? So the, the big, you know, missing out on those big targets, Aguero and Hazard, Fabregas, Bale over the years... Um, there was that big De Gea debacle where he was going to return to Real Madrid. They always yeah, seem to mess things up on deadline day, don't they? Exactly. Mm. It was a will he, won't he? And they've also been criticised, Ali, for just using the club as a bit of a cash cow, taking huge amounts of revenue created from the club's really successful commercial arm and uh, using that to fund other things. That's a big criticism, isn't it, really, that they're basically in it. And, and they are businessmen and they are entitled to do that. But of course, that that never goes down well with the clubs does it either no exactly and I think people want passionate footballing people and those owners just don't seem to be caring about the the product that is Manchester United but rather the the sort of the commercial side of it which I think really upsets a lot of people and it and it's that it's the silverware the lack of silverware I mean you know you heard Cristiano Ronaldo talk about it in his interview which I loved by the way I know that there was a lot of criticism about well, he was talking about some of the younger players, but personally, I thought it was a, a very inspirational message from someone, I think, of captain material, um, trying to avoid a fifth year without a trophy. Um, they've got the FA Cup um, against Middlesbrough. They've got the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. Obviously, they're out of the title race. They might not even get a fourth place finish at this rate. Ed Woodward and his involvement in the European Super League. I mean, do I need to continue? No. If you're a Manchester United fan, there's just so much wrong with the ownership. And and I almost think when you, when you don't think get get things right at the top then you can't get things right lower down and and that has proven I mean they have got some they've they've had through their doors some of the best managers around you know Van Hal is a good manager Jose Mourinho is his great manager but none of these people have well even Moyes has been brilliant at West Ham but none of these men have been able to do it right even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had a little bit of time where he sort of revived the players a little bit but um it, it's a bit of a mess at the top and I think that it has to start with their um, so, yeah, I would say I would not like to work for the Glazers personally. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay. Well, I do fighting talk sometimes, Ali, and uh, they play a hallelujah sound um, when someone says the best answer and the one that everyone should be in agreement on. Uh, you've just done that. I mean, it is the answer to this question, Kate. There is an answer. It is the Glazers. But you did touch on something that means something to me as a football fan, which is the passion and believing that the, those owners are as invested in your team in terms of sentiment, emotion, and all the things that we love as, as football fans, as they are about money in their pocket. Um, and there's quite a lot that you could say that doesn't apply. I am gonna hone in on Golden Sullivan. I just, I'm gonna do that at West Ham. And, and I think the fact that they're doing so well this season probably masks over quite a few issues there. But if you take Leicester City as an example and their owner, oh my gosh, I mean, I, I would love, that's the one thing that I am so jealous of Leicester City fans uh, for is that they've got yeah. this incredible ownership and they, they invest in the local community, um, that they also mark different occasions and treat fans to away trips and to 
to pies and t-shirts and all sorts of things over the time. And they're all little things, but they, they all mount up and they make it a nice experience. Golden Sullivan, when they initially came in, they had a 50% stake in the club. They now have 85%. And to me, it's just a huge cash cow business. I don't believe when they're, when they're sat there with their West Ham scarves on that it, it's about anything more than the books in their pocket. And the reason is, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago, a report came out where they'd taken £18.6 million in interest payments on their £45 million loan, despite promising to invest so much cash. Have they really done that much with the infrastructure? They moved to a stadium that isn't really designed for football. I think the crowd are, are coming round to it now, but that's because they're being successful and there's, there's brilliant atmosphere at times that they've managed to make, but it's taken a while to come. And yeah, I, I wonder, you know, that role that Karen Brady's got, would I want that sandwich between them? No, I wouldn't want to work. <laughs> would anyone, want, that would anyone want to be sandwiched between them for any, for any reason at all? I mean... All I would say is that at least they've been in it for the long term. And then I might caveat that by saying that they've been in it for the long term um, because it was about maybe it was about getting the point, the club to a point where it was really worth something. And now that is the case. I wonder how long they're going to be around for. There have been various uh, rumours and murmurings, haven't there, about big investment coming into the club. I know the Times has been following that a little bit. So um, watch this space, I suppose. Yeah, and part of the problem with this when you're spotting a businessman from a mile off is that they can invest in multiple football clubs. And that's Golden Sullivan. You know, they, they were associated with Birmingham City. If you are an out-and-out -out fan or you're passionate or you want to completely be immersed in, in a community, you have to be with them and them alone. I had this as a Wolves fan when Steve Morgan, who was well-known Liverpool supporter would love to have owned Liverpool, but decided I can't afford that. I tell you what, I'll, I'll go for Wolves. It doesn't sit well because you're just thinking you're not passionate about this place, about this, about this city, about this club, about its history. Um, so I think that's really, really important that, that when you do have really rich people who can come on board and help, that they're not doing it for multiple clubs because yeah. that obviously shows that they're just in it for something else. Well, I mean, look, um, in terms of multiple clubs, you could say, well, they've got experience of running uh, one setup. Uh, in John terms W. Of Henry. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I think, look, look, I think I think we are naive if we say that owners are, are not primarily in it because it makes business sense because otherwise there's the argument why are they in it at all why would they take something on i mean i mean unless they are a lifelong fan of that club and it's a smaller club perhaps without such a lot at stake so we're not naive enough to think that they aren't businessmen but there is a difference between a businessman who shows up and is present and a businessman who isn't and when i think about a businessman who isn't i'm thinking of stan Kroenke at arsenal otherwise known as silent stan because he doesn't show up very much. He doesn't speak up very much. Majority shareholder at Arsenal since 2011, took full control of the club with a 90% shareholding. He bought out Usmanov in 2018. Um, the European Super League, Ali, you've mentioned it with the with the Glazers. Um, again, that is um, a blot on his copybook, to be fair. They did front up to fans and they did phone the, the 14 Premier League teams not involved and apologise, but that wasn't Silent Stan doing it. That was their chief executive who did that instead. Of course, we see a lot of Josh Cronkey, a lot more than we do Stan. Mm. But I think there is definitely a disconnect. If we're talking about owners, of which Stan is the owner, the majority owner, um, then Stan basically 
I think fans don't have that much to say about him, don't have that much respect for him really, just because he's not there enough. There was a huge falling out because of the European Super League. Alan Smith went on Sky Sports at the time and just said, you know, I wasn't surprised Arsenal were involved in that project, um, given they've got an American owner, an absent owner who rarely says anything regarding the club. There's little bond between Stan Kroenke and the club, says Alan Smith. So lots of criticism. Perhaps a patchy approach to the transfer window. Two eighth place finishes. This is where on a footballing level, I'd be upset if I was an Arsenal fan because they just aren't the Arsenal we want to see. That, you know, us being women of 40 and over, not but not you, Linz. Um, we are <laughs> we are used to seeing Arsenal up there. Um, yeah. It's been so long, hasn't it, since they've finished six seasons, six full seasons since they finished in the top four. So, yeah, Stan Kroenke, an absent owner. We don't see enough of him. And actually, this is telling. When I was looking up some facts about when he became the majority shareholder and everything else, <laughs> one of the most popular Google searches was, does Kroenke care about Arsenal? <laughs> oh. uh, and that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. So specifically him, no, I wouldn't want to work for because you'd just never be able to get him on the phone, would you really? And whilst we have your attention, don't forget to listen to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with myself and Kate, this week joined by Jonathan Morgan, the former Leicester City Women Manager. Uh, we'll be talking through a lot of different permutations in the table at the moment at both the top and the bottom. And we'll speak to Abby McManus as well, who's a Leicester City player. You made me Let's get on to topic three then. This week, Emma Hayes was named Women's Coach of the Year at the FIFA Awards, richly deserved, of course, after her side Chelsea won the domestic treble and reached the Champions League final in 2021. She accepted it on Zoom, and it's a great moment, by the way, where she puts a hand over her face and is just like, what? It's lovely. Uh, so, yeah, so she accepted <laughs> it on Zoom. Uh, she wasn't at the ceremony in Zurich and explained afterwards that her son Harry had come downstairs and said, Mummy, you won an award. Is that for being the best mummy? Uh, which made my heart melt. Uh, very proud kid there. And it got us thinking about um, other children who are proud of their parents in a footballing context. Um, Ali, what have you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Kasper Schmeichel and obviously Peter Schmeichel being, you know, a legendary goalkeeper. And it's just amazing to think that his son plays the same position as well. You see a lot of footballers, you know, that do the same as their dad, but it, there's just such similarities. And there's so many great stories out there. Um, I just love, I love hearing Peter speak about him. And actually he said that when he was young, he's just released an autobiography and he said that when he was young, it was actually really, really difficult to go and watch him. And he kind of felt like his son was getting bullied every time he kind of went there. So he actually <laughs> ended up staying away which is really sad. Um, but the, the quote that really gets me actually was so cute. It said, in a way, it's like my career never stopped. I have the same emotions, the same feelings about 10 minutes before he made his debut. I was looking at this little kid walking out onto the pitch with a beard, a tattoo, big muscles. And I'm thinking, he's just a little boy. He can't do that. And I just, I just think that's so cute. I love that. Um, and I mean, he's been through such a lot. I mean, if you think about the ownership, um, that the terrible helicopter crash, um, you know, he Christian was one of the Erickson first as well situation. on the scene, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. And he's for such a young boy, 
he has such kind of leadership qualities. I'd be so proud if I was his dad. And obviously he must be super proud of his dad, even though he doesn't like the comparisons. Um, so I just think, and by the way, the Emma Hayes thing was just so touching. I just, I think she's just brilliant. And I'm, I'm pleased that finally she's getting kind of, you know, the recognition she deserves. You know, I just to throw this in, I would love for, for her to be thrown in the mix with things like the Everton job, because I know we've had this conversation before and I know she finds it disrespectful that she says, you know, it's saying that the men's game is better than the women's game. Um, and I don't necessarily think, obviously, I'd want her to stay at Chelsea, but I just I like the idea of her name to kind of come up alongside the others, mm. just so it's a normal thing. I like the idea of her doing it for that reason, Ali, which is I think she would be a success. Exactly. And, and I think and it would be open the, first the door. Person. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We need someone with big balls. To, we need someone yeah. who's got that kind of personality. We don't need to have any big balls. To pave the way for other women, because I don't think any other women are going to quite have that sort of stature and that success um, until someone has kind of yeah. gone there first. And I, I just she does... feel like she's a pioneer, right? She yeah. is, but it's it's something she needs to think really, really carefully about because it's not just the job. It'll be all the noise around it as well. And as yeah. we know, Premier League football is different. There's different amounts of money involved. There's different, not different expectations necessarily, but it is it is different. Um, I'll chip in with Josh McLaren, son of Steve. Who knew, by the way, I read an interview last week. Um, father and son have got a podcast together. Uh, it's no. about sports psychology and it's called McLaren Performance which I'm sure that they're hoping some Formula One fans <laughs> download by accident uh, yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, and Josh has talked about being proud of his dad as well. He, they, I read an interview with them last week and he said, funnily enough, people think that I might have been bullied when I was a kid, especially after the kind of Wally with the Broly and all the England stuff. And he said, actually, yeah. far from it. He said, it's funny that people talk to me like I'm the victim, but absolutely not. Um, he said, the narrative around football isn't real and my dad isn't the person you think he is. He talks about how proud he is of his dad. And he says when when dad, so when Steve McLaren's presented with something that most people would fear, he feels the fear and he does it anyway. So there you go. Uh, a, a podcast with a proud son, Josh McLaren mm. of Dad Steve. Along those lines, actually, I, I've gone for Alex Bruce regarding Steve Bruce. Now, when Steve Bruce left Newcastle, of course, you know, the flags were out from, from Newcastle supporters. And what a brave step for him to go on social media and just say how proud he was of his dad. And I think in the week that we're talking where Rafa Benitez has gone from Everton, and it's been highlighted, hasn't it, that Rafa, you know, didn't do any better than Steve Bruce at Newcastle, but was certainly welcomed with more open arms. I thought it was really brave and I think it, it was really important as well that someone took his corner um, because there weren't many people that were at, the, mm. at, at that moment and um, yeah I think I think Alex Bruce releasing a bit of a statement saying how proud he is of what yeah. he's achieved and he doesn't know whether he'll come back into football or not after that experience because it has been really horrific for him in, in some ways yeah I think Steve Bruce is is going to be hopefully remembered for the amazing times that he's had as a manager as well as as the moments that he had at Newcastle where clearly the, the club didn't want him the supporters didn't want him um and he was seen to be wasn't he uh, Mike Ashley's right hand man I suppose but mm. yeah um hopefully that doesn't get tainted for the rest of, of what he's achieved and I'm sure that's what Alex was trying to do.
Let's whiz on now to a little bit of any other business, the stories from during the week that you may not have picked up so far. Um, who wants to get us started? Ali, have you got anything? Yeah, I just wanted to put a little mention actually for uh, Spain and Real Madrid legend Paco Hento, who died at the age of 88. Um, a lot of people talk about De Stefano and Puskas, and I think Hento probably doesn't get the, the mentions he deserves, but having worked at the club at Real Madrid TV, you know, back in the day, um, you know, obviously we, we spoke a lot about him, but I think the big thing to know about him is he's the only player that has won six European Cups, also 12 La Ligas. Blimey. Yeah, he spent 18 years with Real Madrid, so a true legend. Um, and even Sir Bobby Charlton says that he was one of the greatest players. Um, he said, watching him, it was like I was sitting there watching, thinking this is the best thing I'd ever seen, is what oh. he said about him. So, yeah, I just wanted to mark his death there, um, the age of 88, and he was a, a Real Madrid legend. Um, who knew, by the way, uh, we've all been watching Dancing on Ice, or my daughter has as well. She's a big ice skating fan. I'm, I'm usually at work. But who knew that Paul Gascoigne's son, Reagan, was a professional dancer? Did anyone know this? This no. sort of footballing connection previously starred in The Nutcracker with the English National Ballet, like actually wow. a fully, like fully formed, I was about to say, which is a ridiculous thing to say. But yes, an actual professional ballet dancer, trained at stage school, trained with a ballet school as well. Now on Dancing on Ice, that is my bit of football slash celebrity gossip for you. <laughs> well, in January, when it's uh, transfer time, we have to pick out some of the bigger stories in any other business, I think. And this week, it's got to be Christian Eriksen being offered a six-month contract from Brentford. I think there's an option of a further extension to that as well. I understand that there are three different English clubs trying to get Eriksen over back to the Premier League and he would love to come back. So you, you can see the London connections, you can see the fact that he's got a lot of teammates from the Danish team in that Brentford squad, Norgard, um, Jensen, Jorgensen. So you can you can imagine that it's quite enticing offer. We, it's gone a bit quiet though now. Um, hopefully nothing's announced before this show comes out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's been one of the, the interesting transfer rumours, but some of them have got silly now. I mean, Newcastle with Balotelli, Luis Suarez potentially going to Villa. It's like Steven Gerrard's trying to get an old band back together. Yeah. Exactly. He's going to be linked with every single former <laughs> Liverpool player after Coutinho, isn't he? I'm going to round things up there though both of you thank you so much if you've listened and enjoyed the show don't forget to leave us some feedback you can rate and subscribe us via all the applicable podcasting platforms and on twitter it's at offside rule pod ditto on instagram as well lynn's what are you up to in the next few days um apart from the fact we should just say woohoo we made it to the end of the podcast without <laughs> you being interrupted <laughs> We did. Um, so I've got Brentford against Wolves um, in the Premier League on Saturday. And there is a huge match at the weekend. Um, we've got Manchester City taking on Arsenal in the WSL. Um, so that's going to be on Sky Sports. I will be part of that coverage too. Um, so yeah, and lots more interviews to come before the end of the week. So I am going to have to dash, I'm afraid. Busy, busy. Ali, um, we hope that you recover quickly um, and that your cold stays a cold and that you'll be out of your isolation before you can say full time. Yeah, let's hope so. I've got a, an interview with Jack Wilshire coming up, so I've got to keep doing those lateral Ooh. flow tests and make sure that, that I test negative so I can do that. Yes. that one, yeah. Well, look, um, stay well. I hope your COVID house manages to escape uh, without uh, too much fuss. And if you've been listening, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at OffsideRulePodcast.com and by following at OffsideRulePod on Twitter and Insta. 
Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.